gathered together from the far reaches of the internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero Superman Superman. Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring the thrilling adventures of Superman, Golden Age Superman, the Superman Fan Podcast, Superman in the Bronze Age, From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman Podcast, The New 52 Adventures of Superman, Superman Forever Radio, I've got a few things to say about Superman. The Kara's World Podcast. The Superman Vidcast. The world's best podcast. And Radio Kale from supermanhomepage.com. Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer, J. David Weeder, Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, Scott Gardner, Danny Sapp, Cayman Stoll, I'm Isaac, I'm Adam, Dave Eunice, and co host Scotty V. At supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recordings. Rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton, Kal-El came to Earth, whose environment gave him fantastic powers. In Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil the world over as Superman. And welcome to episode 68 of Superman in the Bronze Age, the only podcast providing exclusive coverage to the Man of Steel's Bronze Age adventures. My name is Charlie Niemeyer, and today we're going to take a look at a Superman story quietly dedicated to Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster while they were still fighting DC over the rights to the character, and before they ever got their created by credits back on into issues. But first... Do you want to keep up on all your favorite comics and graphic novels and collected editions, but don't want to pay full retail price? Well, look no further than Discount Comic Book Service. DCBS is an online comics retailer that offers comic fans the comics they need at the prices they want, with monthly specials that range from 45 to 75% off the retail price, and over 13,000 individual collected editions and graphic novels in stock. DCBS is the one-stop shop that every comic fan longs for. And now, if you haven't heard, April 23rd is being called What the F*** Month at DC, in which every cover is gatefold with some big surprise on the half of the cover not shown in the solicits. Well, in February, you can bundle up all of these books at 50% off cover price for just $83.74. You can find them on the web at www.dcbservice.com, and please also make sure to visit their sister stores, In Stock Trades, and My Digital Comics. And after some promos, we'll dive right into the issue. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. Ready to form Voltron! This is a job for Superman! Power Rangers! 
right away, Michael. Autobots, transform! By the power of Grayskull! For the honors of Grayskull! Hello. I'm the Doctor. Charlie's Geek Cast, coming January 1st, 2013, to com. Twenty-seven years ago, the planet Krypton was destroyed. An infant boy and his cousin survived and have found a refuge here on Earth. But they were not alone. Another scion of the House of El has arrived. Why is he here? What is his purpose? And how will Cal El and Kara Zorel respond when faced with El on Earth? The New 52 Adventures of Superman is a podcast that covers the current adventures of Superman and his family of characters. Join John Wilson, J. David Weeder, and guest host Charlie Niemeyer as they review and discuss this latest crossover adventure. The New 52 Adventures of Superman is available on iTunes and at new52superman.libson.com. We now return to Superman and the Bronze Age. Okay, Action Comics 447, which had a cover date of May 1975 and a release date of February 27th, 1975. The issue features a cover by Bob Oxner and Dick Giordano with a guy looks like he's in trouble and says he needs someone to help him and he'll create and all of a sudden Superman pops in. Or fades in, actually. It's not one of the most eye-catching covers if you ask me. And unfortunately, Dick Giordano really masks Bob Oxner's work. You almost can't tell that Oxner did any of the uh, any drawing at all. But as far as, I, as that goes, uh, the story is titled The Man Who Created Superman, written by Elliot S. Magan and penciled by Kurt Swan, inked by Bob Oxner, and edited by Julie Schwartz. Our story begins on a tropical island in the South Pacific, where an older gentleman is, is surrounded by animals, most of which are monkeys, although that has no bearing on the story, so we'll just keep moving along, who have apparently gathered to hear him tell the tale of a character he has created called Superman. A tall kind of fellow from another world who wears a colorful costume and does all sorts of superhuman stuff. I'm going to stop right here and apologize for the accent. That's just the way I hear it when anyone refers to someone as a fella. So, yeah. As he begins telling the tale of Superman saving a car from going off the side of a mountain, back near Metropolis, we see Superman flying down to catch a car that has just crashed through a guardrail and is heading off the side of a mountain. After catching the car, he spots another car speeding towards the same curve, but this time without a guardrail to slow it down although it didn't really do much for the first car. So Superman removes the driver from the first car and flings him up into the air, where he goes too high up into the atmosphere and explodes. Not really, I'm just kidding. While letting his car drop. 
Then he uses his indestructible cape to replace the busted guardrail in time for the second car to hit it and, of course, be cushioned by the blow and not go off the road. Then he flies back up, catches the first driver, just as his car crashes and explodes down below. Whew. We then learn that the man in the second car is Werner Springer, a brilliant scientist who is heading to a meeting of the Defensive Arms Commission to push testing of his solar energy bomb in the South Pacific. But the driver of the first car, Brad Jerome, is trying to prevent the testing of the bomb because he believes the bomb would actually burn all life for miles around to a cinder. Unfortunately, the papers he had to prove this burned up when his car exploded. Annoyed by this interruption, Springer drives off to the meeting, but Superman, who appears to be on Brad's side on this one, flies him out to the meeting. Unfortunately, we learn later, during Clark's 6 o'clock newscast, that the testing of the bomb is set to take place the next day, as scheduled. But now, in a short break from the seriousness of the story, and in a complete slam to story progression, after the newscast wraps, of course, a girl named Lanny brings everyone some drinks, including a warm milk for Clark, which sounds really disgusting, but as he goes to drink it, Steve slaps him on the back, causing Clark to spill his drink all over Lanny. So Steve offers to help her with her wet clothes, wink wink, as does Clark, although not so much for the wink wink reason, I'm guessing, but when she says she can take care of it herself, Clark bumps her arm, holding the tray with the rest of the drinks on it, clausing, clausing? causing them to spill all over Steve's brand new $300 suit. Afterward, Clark heads back to his office, where Brad Jerome is waiting for him, to ask him to contact Superman to stop the bomb. You see, he's not just worried about the ecology, but about 25 years ago, his uncle, Joseph J. Jerome, left a cruise ship on an inflatable life raft in the South Pacific. While authorities figured he was dead, Brad believes that his uncle had a second sight, which allowed him to know about things that no one else knew about, and that he's been living a happy, quiet life on some island. What the second sight has to do with being on the island and not dead is never explained. Back on that, back on that same island in the South Pacific we mentioned earlier, the old storyteller tells the animals of how the reporter fella told Superman the story, and that since Superman wasn't too keen on that bomb anyway, he flew off to the other side of the world where it was already daylight and where the bomb was being prepped. Because, you see, if it's nighttime on the east coast of the United States, it's already the next day in the South Pacific on the other side of the international dateline, so technically it's already tomorrow. Hmm. And, like last time, a certain man of steel lands on a Navy cruise ship to ask the captain to delay the test. But unfortunately, the time has already been set and the ship is current I'm sorry, the timer has already been set and the ship is currently on its way out to an observation point at a safe distance. So Superman checks it out with his telescopic vision and discovers that the timer is actually a quite a bit fast and the bomb is set to go off in about thirty minutes. So while the captain orders the ship to full throttle, Superman flies out to investigate the bomb and learns that it's actually worse than Brad feared. When the bomb goes off, it will send out a heat wave around the entire planet that will burn off all the oxygen and leave nothing alive at all on the Earth. Back on the planet, the storyteller relates how Superman flew off to think until he found an island, which just so happens to be the one that the young feller had told his reporter friend about, at which point Superman walks up, surprising the old man, who we find out is the same Joseph J. Jerome that has been missing for the last 25 years. 
So Joseph starts telling Superman about the stories he's made up about him, including those where he's going up against a bald evil scientist, Lex Luthor, of course, a desperado from the Old West, which would be Terraman, and how he recently met the hero of another world, Vartox, which we covered last episode. So, preferring not to have to think for himself, Superman tells Joseph to finish his story while he flies back to the bomb. Now, the next part of the story uses Joseph as the narration, um, and everything happens as he says it, so I'm just going to go with what happens here as if he wasn't narrating, because it's easier. So just pretend Joseph is relating all of this to everybody. So, after Superman returns to the bomb, Navy fighter jets sent by the captain from earlier, uh, they fly overhead to try a million-to-one shot to blast the bomb without setting it off. Now, this kind of ticks off Superman because of how stupid it is. So Superman flies up and spins around the missiles that have just been fired at super speed, causing them to fly off in different directions where they create harmless explosions. This gives Superman an idea. With no time left, Superman spins around the solar energy bomb at super speed, just as he had done before, but of course with the bigger circumference. And as it begins to go off, he pulls it with him into the time stream. And for the next several minutes, witnesses see several small explosions as Superman pulls the bomb through time, spreading the explosion out over several minutes, saving the Earth from the full fury of the bomb while not only absorbing the shock itself, but also dealing with the rigors of time travel. After all is said and done, Superman basically cannonballs into the water near the Navy cruise ship, where he's pulled up on board to recover. And after recovering, Superman returns to the island to pick up Joseph and returns him to civilization. An indeterminate amount of time later, we see Clark walking with Joseph in Metropolis, I'm guessing exiting the GPS building, although we don't really see them leaving, they're just walking past it. Uh, and, we, and we find out that, apparently, things are almost exactly the way Joseph had imagined them to be. Clark explains that a psychologist friend of his told him that it may be that his unconscious mind is quote-unquote tuned in to the progress of events so that he can figure out what will happen next based on what has happened already. For example, even though Superboy had not yet made his public debut 25 years ago, there had been reports of a super baby, so Joseph may have just realized that the baby would one day grow up and go public. Soon, after some time has passed, Joseph makes his debut at the Metropolis Children's Zoo as a storyteller, and Superman is on hand to steal his, uh, I mean, sign autographs, and to help raise attendance for Joseph's first day on the job. As Superman flies off, Uncle Joy begins the tale of an ancient Viking village hidden from human sight in the woods of northern Maine. And that's the end. So, now I'm going to take a quick break, play some promos, and then I'll be right back with my notes. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. Mr. Scott, shall we give the Enterprise a proper shakedown? I would say it's time for that, sir. I... Before this drama unfolds, we give welcome to the ones named Kirk and Spock. You! What planet is this? Which one of you is the captain? Do we violate the treaty, Captain? 
Sir, someone is stealing the Enterprise. What are you scratching at? Humans make illogical decisions. Destruct sequence completed and engaged. No! Yes, I found Mr. Spock. I'm talking to Mr. Spock. You understand? Starfleet, do you read? This is the Enterprise. We are under attack. Fire, Mr. Scott. Join Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell, the two true freaks, every month for a new episode of Star Trek Monthly Monday. Every month you will get a classic episode of Star Trek the Original Series, a Star Trek comic, and who knows what else. Episodes of Star Trek Monthly Monday can be found for free at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. Libsyn spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. They can also be downloaded for free from iTunes. The dawn of an age. The founding of a family. You know we haven't done enough research into the effects of cosmic rays. We've got to take that chance. Conditions are right tonight. Let's go. They're penetrating the ship. Our shielding isn't strong enough. I feel like I'm burning up. Too heavy. Can't move. Too heavy. We're all alive. I feel so strange. You're fading away. I can't see you at all anymore. (laughs) Look what's happened to you. You are changing. Oh, Reed, not you too. What happened to me? To all of us? I can fly. We gotta use that power to help mankind, right? And so was born the Fantastic Four. Or soon the Mole Man will have the entire world in his power. I am the mightiest living mortal on Earth. And now mankind shall feel that might. The Fantastic Four. Little do they dream they're the palms in the hand. The Human Torch will be the Puppet Master's next victim. You bastards can't change the way I can. I'm the most powerful person on Earth. I've been expecting you, for I am the Thinker. I vow never to return, my lord, until the Fantastic Four are no more, and the planet Earth is no more. You're in the presence of the awesome Ralatons, King of Kings, Master of Men. Lord of the Seven Sons. Fool, you're just a muscular freak. Blind or hulk. Stop! You must not enter the castle of Diablo. My journey has ended. This planet shall sustain him to the drain of all elemental life. So speak, Galactus. Flame on! It's clobbering time! The Fantastic Four from the very beginning witnessed the origins of a legend. The Fantastic Cast. FFcast.libsyn.com We now return to Superman and the Bronze Age. <laughs> now that was a fun promo, wasn't it? I don't know if you could tell, but that was me as Doctor Doom in my first quote-unquote acting gig. 
Stephen Lacey and Andrew Leyland put on a fun show, and I highly suggest listening to it. Plus, they've got funny accents, which I'm allowed to point out because my colonial humor amuses them. <sighs> anyway, on to my notes. On page two, Joseph's image of Superman is basically the same as what we used to see as of Super Baby in his Super Play suit, just older and with a cape tied around his neck, as Super Baby didn't generally wear a cape. Page 3. I'm wondering why Superman didn't toss up the whole car instead of just Brad. I mean, granted, to Superman they'd probably weigh about the same, so I don't know if it was a big deal. Page 5. Now, this is one of the most jarring instances of the prerequisite Lombard prank scenes I have ever read. It completely halts any momentum that the story... Wow, I can't talk. It completely halts any momentum the story was building just so we can get the prank. Granted, it does give Clark some more screen time, but still. Uh, Page 9. I don't know if I'd be able to leave the fate of the Earth in the hands of a guy who has spent the last 25 years talking to animals on an island. I mean, what if he just said, and then the bomb blows up and everyone dies? Uh, What would Superman do? Just stand there and wait? I mean... Come on. Joseph hadn't even seen the bomb in real life, so you can't be guaranteed that he'd know how Superman would need to take care of it. That kind of thing. Uh, Page 11. Now, I have to admit that this is a a cool super feat. Spreading the explosion over time to prevent it from causing any damage. I mean, it's not something you've seen before, and it's not something you really could ever see again because Superman is no longer able to crack the time barrier unless they somehow boost his powers so he's able to do that again. I don't know, but for now, you can't. And on page 13, the final page of the story, where Joseph talks about the Vikings, well, that's actually the Viking clan from Superman 260, which David and I covered way back in episode 36, so more on that there. But... It's an actual Superman story with characters we've actually met before, so it's kind of interesting. Overall, I don't really need to point out that Joseph J. Jerome is a combination of Joe Schuster and Joe Siegel, I hope. Um, Nothing in the story mentions this fact, and at this point it had been about 30 years since uh, since Siegel and Schuster's names had appeared in a Superman comic, so I'm pretty sure a majority of the people reading this as it was released, had no idea of the nod to Superman's original creators. In fact, this was 75, 25 years ago would have been 50. Their names had been off by then, so yeah, I've been closer to 30 years. Shortly after the war, when um, DC got ticked with the... um, finally had had enough of Siegel and Schuster trying to get their rights back and just basically kick them off the books and also remove their creator credit. Uh, and it would be another year before the created by credit would actually return to the books, thanks to the help of Jerry Robinson and Neil Adams, and several others. As for the story itself, outside of the Lombard scene, I really enjoyed it. Uh, it's a great combination of solid art and creative storytelling. Yes, the ma- the idea of a man on a deserted island being able to predict exactly what is going on in the rest of the world 25 years later sounds a bit far-fetched to me. But considering that they were what they were going for with this story, I'll let it slide this time. But overall, yes, it was a good story. And that's going to do it for my notes. I really thought that would take longer. Hmm. Well, anyway, here's a couple more promos, and I'll be right back with ads. 
Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. Red alert! All hands to battle stations! Engage! Captain Picard is a pain, isn't he? Interesting. No redeeming qualities. I think you should be destroyed. The great Captain Picard of Starfleet falls to Earth. Go back. Thou shalt most certainly die. Protect yourself, Captain, within destroying. We are dangerous. What can I offer except myself? Can we just get down to it, please? Get us out of orbit! One minute to auto-destruct. No! Join the two true freaks, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell, for Star Trek Monthly Monday. Every month, the freaks will bring you two episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation and more. Episodes of Star Trek Monthly Monday can be found for free at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. Libsyn spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. They can also be downloaded for free from iTunes. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's SupermanHomePage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. SupermanHomePage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. SupermanHomePage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the man. Man of Steel and more. SupermanHomePage.com. We now return to Superman and the Bronze Age. Okay, ad time. Woohoo, yay! Inside front cover is a hostess ad, so we'll get back to that in a minute. Yay, hostess! Okay, and the next ad is from the CIE Cleveland Electronics Inst- or Institute of Electronics. Uh, this ad shows, basically it's a comic strip or a comic book page uh, featuring their hero Electro Man trying to teach this guy Jim or maybe Jim's just his jive way of talking um, telling him that he can get a career in electronics if he just goes to Cleveland Institute of Electronics. The one cool thing I will say about this, even though the art on here sucks. I mean, it's terrible. 
the one good thing is it's kind of creative that the little uh, dotted line they have around the please send, send me stuff is uh, the Electro Man guy actually busts up a few of the dotted lines, breaking them. So that's kind of cool. Uh, the next page is uh, one of those bodybuilding ads. We've seen enough of those that I don't need to go into that. Next is an ad, one of those uh, get your high school diplomas. Next page is a one of those um, hodgepodge ads for everything from x-ray specs to comic books to finding out how much it costs to get a penny. One of the ads I want to mention though is enjoy an exciting romantic quick change to suit your mood time send for a mustache sideburns and a van dyke at once simply check the color you want or send a sample of your hair and leave the matching to our expert adhere securely off and on in seconds it can be worn as is or trimmed to just the style you want so basically what they're sending you is fake sideburns, goatee, or mustache, and or a mustache. So, and people are just supposed to be like, oh my god, one day you've grown this hair. Yeah. I can't imagine that that lasted too long. The next ad page is a DC House ad. First up is another one of, De of DC's famous first edition books for a dollar. Reprinting the Justice Society of America's first appearance in All-Star Comics number three. And it's, of course, giant and in full color. Now, for more information on that, I direct you to John Wilson's Golden Age Superman, as he and Michael Bailey have talked about that. Now, the episode where they talk about this has not been quite been released yet, but it is coming soon, so I recommend going over there after you listen to this and see if it's been posted yet, and if not, um, well, I guess wait for it, unless you want to go find it yourself. But yes, uh, it's about to be covered, so if you want to know more about it, I would suggest checking that out. The other side of the story, or of the ad, is the most spectacular stories ever told from the Bible. Only the great Sheldon Mayer could write this script. Only the sensational Joe Kubert could draw this cover, edit the script, and make the layouts. Only the creative genius of Nestor Redondo could do the artwork, as it has never been done before. And what you can, what little you can see of the artwork looks pretty amazing. Uh, took two years of research and planning to do this book. So, yeah, the cover shows... Uh, looks like Moses holding the Ten Commandments and his staff, and behind and on the cover you see looks like the city in flames behind him, and you see that it covers. Just on the cover, it mentions that it covers creation. Uh, the Tower of Babel, Sodom and Gomorrah, Noah's Ark, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. I would imagine there's probably more. Since it's stories from the New and Old Testaments, so I'm sure there's some Jesus in there. But it's not mentioned on this cover. But yeah, so there's that. The next page is another is a subscription page. Uh, where you can not only get subscription... Actually, it's not a subscription page. It's a order page where you can order 
several of the famous first edition and tabloid size books. Uh, for example, you can order... None of them are sold out quite yet. But there's the famous first edition of Action Comics 1, Detective 27, Sensation Comics number 1, uh, Wiz Comics number 1, Batman number 1, and Wonder Woman number 1. There's also the tabloid specials for... Uh, Tarzan, Superman, Batman, uh, both of Shazam of the Shazam ones, Christmas with the superheroes, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and the Ghosts book. So there's all those. Uh, next up is a two-part ad. The top half is how to train to be a veterinary assistant, which there's a guy in this ad with huge mutton chops, so it's kind of interesting. And the bottom half is uh, about being a dra uh, drafting kits to learn how to be a draftsman. And the guy in the picture that's smiling does not look happy at all. Just saying. Next ad page is another half and half ad. The top half is for selling metal social security plates. Okay. And the bottom half is is for superhero stick-ons. Stick stick your favorite heroes up anywhere in seconds. Now, we've seen these before, but uh, just in a bigger ad, usually. Um, let's see. The stickers that they're showing, we've got uh, Hawkman, Green Lantern. Uh, well, let me tell you this. I don't know who's drawing these. Uh, the Hawkman is too small to tell. The Green Lantern is very obviously Gil Kane. The two Superman stickers are very obviously Swanderson artwork. Batman and Robin also appears to be Swanderson, or at least Kurt Swan. Actually, the Flash and Green Arrow ones also appear to be Swanderson. I'm not sure who's drawing, who drew the Aquaman. It does not look like Swanderson. Could be a Ramona, Ramona Fraden. Could be a Nick Cardi. Very definitely does not look like a Jim Aparo. Then there's a, you can see the feet of the Wonder Woman one. Uh, you can see Supergirl, tiny. And Batman looks like a Neil Adams Dick Giordano image. So there's those. The next page is an ad for all of the new number ones coming out from DC this same month, which I'll get into more when I do the Elseworlds, or elsewhere in the DC multiverse. So we're going to skip that for now. Uh, let's see. And then, now the backup feature is an Adam story. I'm not going to go ahead and cover that this time. I will point out that it is written by Marty Pasco, who, if you remember several episodes ago, and actually just a couple years before this story would be printed, was a letter hack writing into the comics. So that's pretty cool. Uh, the next ad page is for the Writer Technical Institute. There you go. Next one is a half page. The top half is more of the um, hodgepodge ad. And the bottom half is a fast track to become a motorcycle mechanic. Word up. The next ad page is, uh, once again, for those little... Um, I don't even know what they're called. Little figures. The top half is... Uh, Old school army figures battling it out. Looks like World War II era. And the bottom half is naval fight with planes and ships. It's the same ad they've been running pretty much since 
World War Two, I believe. Uh, just the price keeps changing because, you know, costs more. And the back cover. I don't have an inside back cover yet. Weird. Oh, yes, I do. It's just in color. Wow, the inside back cover ad is in color. It's another prices for cash or prices or cash for selling stuff. Uh, this time it's in color, which is quite nice. And the back, the back cover is a different but similar ad. You can't get quite as many prizes, but it's basically selling American seeds. Okay, and the hostess ad is Batman and the Mummy. And I guess I'm going to do all the parts because I'm by myself. So, uh, we start off with Batman and Robin, and Batman's going, The mummy has captured the professor and his beautiful daughter. And Robin's, Great Cheops! I don't know what that is. Uh, Batman, and then of course Batman goes, They violated the tomb of his ancestors, and he wants revenge. I'll roll this two-ton stone. They'll never get out alive. So Robin goes, even my special mummy ray gun won't stop him. Well, after all, you can't kill a mummy. Right, he's already dead. So what'll we do? We've got to have a secret weapon. I've got it! What is it? We've got to act fast. We'll lure him away with an offer he can't resist. Seems I've heard that somewhere before. What's that? And then we move to later, and the mummy is... Delicious hostess Twinkies. I can't resist that moist sponge cake and creamy filling. Here he comes. Mmm, I've been around for 2,000 years and I've never tasted anything so good. And while he's eating the Twinkies, Batman and Robin roll the rock away from the cave and rescue the professor and his beautiful daughter. And the professor goes, Now is our chance to escape. Let's go. Gee, thanks, Batman and Robin. For these delicious hostess Twinkies. Mmm. You get a big delight in every bite of hostess Twinkies. That's actually a pretty, uh, pretty cool looking ad. The art looks to be Dick Giordano. So it, do it looks like Neil Adams, but it reads like Adam West. So take it how you want. And that's it for the ads. As far as elsewhere this month, uh, other issues of DC Comics that came out this month. First issue special number two featured the green team, which was a bunch of boy millionaires handing out money, apparently. Adventure Comics number 439 continued the adventures of the Spectre. Batman was featured in number Batman 263. Claw the Unconquered had its very first DC, DC issue released this month. DC Special 16 featured superheroes battle super gorillas. And the stories in this issue feature Batman against a monkey, Wonder Woman against some super ape, Flash against Gorilla Grodd, and Superman against Titano. Detective Comics number 447 featured Batman meeting up with the Creeper. Flash 233 involved the Professor Zoom the Reverse Flash. Apparently, by the cover, it appears he's killed Barry Allen, and it's about to take over as the real Flash. Where have I seen that story? Hmm. Anyway, uh, let's see, moving right along. Joker got his very first issue, becoming the first supervillain to get his own comic bo ongoing comic book. It would, would only last, what, like, nine issues? Seven issues? But... He was the first. Nine issues. 
and of course the first issue came out this month. Justice League of America number 118 has the heroes going up against the Earthmasters, and judging by the cover, they're not doing a very good job. Another number one from this month was Justice Inc. number one. Now I don't know anything about this issue, and I've never read the comic, so yeah, but apparently it involves the uh, origin of the Avenger. Commandy, The Last Boy on Earth, number 29. I don't usually mention this book too much, but this one features something about the legend, and the cover actually features Superman's costume. That does play into a Superman story from the fall, from 1976 uh, that I have read, and I won't be covering this year as part of the 75th anniversary, but I will be covering uh, at some point. But So I'll have to remember that. Uh, let's see. Next up, Shazam number 18 features him catch uh, saving a f- frog from being killed. Hmm. In a story entitled The Celebrated Talking Frog of Blackstone Forest. That's right. Superman 287 featured the return of Crypto into Superman's life. Which actually began as a... Uh, Two, in a, which actually started as a two-part story over in, I believe it was in action, in a Green Arrow backup, where an unnamed super dog showed up, and then of course it picks up here in the Superman issue. Uh, next, that well, Swamp Thing had its 16th issue, which actually has a cool cover on it. I recommend that. And um, finally for this month, World's Finest number 230 featured uh, yet another Super Sons story about the girl whom time forgot. And then, of course, it's got a couple of back... There's a couple of backup stories, but they're reprints. Uh, one is an Aquaman story, and the other is a Challengers of the Unknown story featuring Deadman. And that's it for Elsewhere. And next up... J. David Weeder continues his series of Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes in the Bronze Age with a look at issue number 200. Now, I know what you're all thinking. Will there be bacon this time? Well, I'm not going to tell you, but while you're listening, I'm going to go get some, so take it away, Dave. The Adventures of Superboy. Exciting stories of Superman when he was a boy, who, even as an infant, demonstrated powers and abilities far beyond the capabilities of Earthlings. Superboy, who as Clark Kent, mild-mannered foster son of Martha and Jonathan Kent, preserves the secret of his true identity and devotes his superpowers to the prevention of crime, the preservation of peace, and the pursuit of truth. Hello, and welcome once again to Superboy in the Bronze Age with me, J. David Weeder, looking at Superboy's adventures alongside those 30th century wonders, the Legion of Superheroes. (laughs) It smells like teen spirit in here. This time we have a doozy, Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes number 200, which, you know, would have about 16 variant covers today. It's a three-part, full-issue extravaganza featuring the story, The Legionnaire Bride of Starfinger. Once again, brought to us by Carrie Bates and Dave Cockrum on art, writing and art, respectively. The cover and the title page show the same scenario. The villain Starfinger, who looks like a little bit like a candy-coated version of Black Manta. But he demands Duo Damsel, and Superboy is about to hand her over because he must. With Bouncing Boy begging Superboy to stop. Okay, you have my attention. What happens? 
Well, our tale begins at Legion headquarters where Brainiac 5 has discovered that Chuck Tane has lost his powers and can no longer operate as Bouncing Boy. So basically he can't balloon up like a puffer fish. A power that comes in handy more often than you would think, to be honest. So Chuck wistfully goes to the video library and watches old videos of his adventures with the Legion, including some fun times with his girlfriend, or girlfriends, whichever, Duo Damsel, who could split herself into full two, count them two, fully automated versions, but not three. She was once three, and then her third clone or duplicate was killed on a mission. But having given up on her massive crush on Superboy since it would never amount to anything, she hooked up with Bouncing Boy. Seems legit. But, watching this, sad that he will have to leave the Legion, Chuck gets an idea and hops into a Legion ship to track down Duo Damsel, and when he finds her, he drops the bad news on her and then proposes marriage. And she says yes. Can we all say aww? Before the celebration can begin, Duo Damsel rushes after an escaped pair of eagle oxes, which are the sacred birds of the United Planets. They're very rare. During the rescue, Duo Damsel realizes that she can't split. But then she isn't Duo Damsel, is she? Not triplicate girl, not Duo Damsel. Single lady? Ah, that's awesome because she could be single lady and Bouncing Boy liked it, so he put a ring on it. See what I did there? Luckily, Superboy shows up and helps with the rescue, but why can't Duo Damsel split? We find out in part two, this wife is condemned. Turns out Duo Damsel is repressing memories that Brainiac 5 digs up with an electronic memory prober. Which sounds a little creepy. And wait, a memory prober? You're telling me the Legion has this thing sitting around for what reason? Oh, maybe it's all the repressed memories Legionnaires seem to develop. Remember Timberwolf? I'm just saying. Is there some kind of camp counselor stalking the halls of Legion headquarters, making them repress things? I mean, what did RJ Brand do to these kids? But, it turns out that Duo Damsel was on an adventure when a giant dinosaur bird thing took her duplicate and disappeared into another dimension. So clearly this makes the Chuck Duo Damsel marriage easier because now she can look forward to being a devoted wife, as Brainiac points out. Brainiac 5, I should correct that. And we progress to the wedding where Duo Damsel falls down, stricken. And now Starfinger shows up with her duplicate in tow and says that Duo Damsel is dying unless the Legion hands her over to him. With no real choice, they do hand over the girl to the villain, ruining the wedding more than Chuck's lost uncle, Brick. You know, the uncle that sells kitten statues on eBay? No? Maybe I'm thinking of my uncle, Rick. Um, disregard. Anyway, before that we go further, just who is this Starfinger guy? Because his name sounds like some kind of candy, but he's actually a scientist named Lars Hanscom. And Hanscom originally turned Lightning Lad into Starfinger while working on his robotic arm. And he outfitted LL with the Starfinger Glove. This is a glove that, have fi that has five different powers, one for each finger. The thumb projects a neutralizing ray. The index finger projects super lightning. Middle finger projects super, tr super thrust ray. I'm not even going to get to the jokes on that one. The ring finger is a tunable. Um, it can basically kind of change to any kind of super radiation, like heat, green kryptonite, gamma rays, making the Hulk. And the pinky is a freezing ray. And now he has both duplicates of Duo Damsel, and that is when he monologues to himself about how he engineered the abduction of Duo Damsel's duplicate, and the bird lizard thing is his pet. 
and Starfinger believes that he can use her power to duplicate himself and take over the galaxy Pinky in the Brain style. Or is that Pinky in the Brain, Brain, Brain? Now, up to this point, I'm on board. I'm enjoying this story. And we get to the final act, wherein the Legionnaires track down Starfinger using Saturn Girl's telepathic powers, and while he is experimenting, Starfinger is elated when a Starfinger duplicate shows up. It worked! No. It's another fake-out, with Superboy in a Starfinger costume, which allows him to get close enough to conk Starfinger out. So we're going back to that bag of tricks, and I believe that the fake-out has been used in three out of three stories to this point. And suddenly I was disappointed. And of course, Starfinger gets away thanks to his bird-lizard thing, but Duo Damsel and Bouncing Boy are reunited to live happily ever after. And you know, I should be upset as I was enjoying a good, solid, fun abduction story with a huge Legion wedding in the middle, and then the fake-out once again. Rears its head. But I'm not upset. Why? Why am I not upset about the same ending over and over again? Because of the last two panels of the book. Which is Shadowlass and Monel discussing the fact that there are now two vacant spots on the Legion. And an odd blob of energy declares that he will be taking that spot. Next time... One of my favorite Legionnaires rears his head. Until then, long live the Legion. Uh, thank you, Dave. Uh, wasn't quite ready there. Um, and that brings us to the end of yet another episode. Next time, I'll be joined by John M. Wilson of Golden Age Superman and New 52 Adventures of Superman for the first part of a two-part look at 1977's Superman Spectacular. Plus more Superboy and the Legion. All this for the low, low price of free. We'll see you all then. You have been listening to Superman in the Bronze Age, hosted by Charlie Niemeyer and J. David Weider. The home of the show is at www.supermanandthebronzeage.com, where you will find show postings, links to the RSS and iTunes feeds, and more. You can also find the show on Facebook, where you'll get a little notice whenever a new episode is posted, and on Stitcher Smart Radio. Superman of the Bronze Age is also a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. There you will not only find postings for this show, but also for many other Superman-related podcasts. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster and is copyright DC Comics. Thank you for listening, and God bless. Listen to our show on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, Blackberry, or Palm phones. On demand and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it for free today at Stitcher.com or in the app stores. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio.